This is Motley Fool Money. Welcome to Motley Fool Money, the podcast that loves to be fourth time lucky. It's a bit of a cryptic opening for you. Uh, yeah, very cryptic. I'm Scott Phillips, and with me, as always, is the voice you just heard, Dr. Nirban Mahanti. How are you, Doc? Good day, Captain. I'm I'm good. How about you? I'm excellent. Any better, I'd be twins, mate. Ah, you need to come up with a new line. Do I? Yeah. Right. I've heard that many times. <laughs> <laughs> I'm nothing if not consistent, mate. I, You're it's very all consistent. about consistency, see? <laughs> that is true. I'm not boring or repetitive, just consistent. Consistency is important in the stock market, right? So. Speaking of which, let's get consistent and go through what we're going to be talking about today. More rate cuts, possibly, on the horizon. You're a bit excited about that. <laughs> or not. <laughs> my bank this week cut my mortgage rate. Pretty excited about that, too. I might rant about that a little bit later. Um, we're also going to talk about some retail struggles. We're going to talk about Vocus's fourth time lucky. That's the uh, hint <laughs> of the opening. Uh, we'll talk about Afterpay's run-in with the regulator. And if we have time, well, of course we'll have time, we'll get to some of our favourite part of the podcast, the mailbag from our wonderful listeners. Thank you for listening and thank you for corresponding. We're going to get stuck right into the mailbag after we cover the news and views from this week. Let's get into it. Motley Fool Money. Financial advice for real people, not trust fund hippies. Sign up for the newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, my bank on, what day is today? Friday, go back to Wednesday. Let me know my mortgage rate's dropping by 0.25%. A shout out to the wonderful Sydney Credit Union. I'll give them a, I'll give them a rap because they passed on the full rate cut. Unlike some people, <coughs> ANZ, <coughs> Um, that was pretty good. I felt pretty good about that. And now you tell me this morning, I might get another one in the Christmas stocking. Well, you know, I'm 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 not really saying anything. Oh. <laughs> uh, all, all I'm saying is, uh, I don't know. I tell, mean, tell me what. Tell me the story. Apparently, there was some talk mm. about more rate cuts coming down the pike. Yeah. So, uh, at a very high level, the unemployment numbers mm-hmm. came in at what five point five point two percent percent, basically steady. It's pretty good. Pretty good. But here's the problem, right? Most of the jobs are being created in the part-time sector. Right. People who want to work yep. as many hours as they want to work actually are not getting that. The underemployed. The underemployed. Right. That's number one. And number two is, the like the rest of the world, it seems <laughs> like uh, our governor basically thinks, or our Reserve Bank basically thinks that we should be heading towards 4.5% on Unemployment rate, very similar to where the actually U.S. is below four percent or something like that right now. If you want to, it, unless we head in that direction, we're not going to have the desired inflation impact that they want. I, mean, I don't get this. So, I, I I'm old enough, and I, I'm probably older than you, or at least I look older than you. You still look like about twenty four. Thank you very much. Um, I, so there was a time when, look, nineteen eighty five, right? Let's just pick a date. Let's pick a pick a year. Mm. If you'd have offered somebody 5.2% unemployment, they would have said, A, thank you very much. I'll take it with both hands and don't complain. And by the way, that's probably full employment. We find ourselves now an arbitrary 24 years, 34 years later. Oh, jeez. 34 years later. I'm feeling older. Uh, and all of a sudden, that's now not good enough. That somehow, all of a sudden, growth isn't good enough, rates aren't low enough, unemployment's not low enough. I, I mean, I know, I know Phil Lowe, the governor, knows his stuff, and I know the econocrats know their stuff, and- I just can't help but feel like we've kind of gone a bit, you know, it's a little bit FOMO these days, a little bit, you know, like what was wonderful once is not just now okay, but downright kind of not good enough. What's going on? Yeah, so I mean, part of that is, um, you know, I think the impact of technology, right? So I mean, technology has made 
uh, in many ways. Like, you know, you could... You Steve could, Jobs has killed unemployment. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> well, so Steve Jobs has probably done his, his bit, right? I mean, Steve Jobs <laughs> has basically floated all these different companies uh, indirectly. You know, the Airbnbs of the world, the Ubers of the world, the right. Facebooks of the world. So all these different companies that basically run on a mobile sharing platform. Sharing economy. The okay. sharing economy. So, there's, so, so, I mean, it's easier to find these sort of part-time jobs these days, right? right, right so, which, you know, what, so therefore maybe the desire for people to work actually has gone up. The cost of living has is commensurately gone up. People mm-hmm. want maybe dual income, you know. Uh, I mean, the unemployment rate is also, you know, the function of how many people are actually looking for jobs, yes. right? So it's also, at a, I think the uh, participation rate, as the economists call it, is about a record high-ish. Right. 62.6 or so. So, so more people want, want to work right, and right, are right. working to, you know, afford uh, the cost of living that, that is today but at the same time i mean so but i think the current thinking is that if you don't drop that un- unemployment rate below whatever number it is you're yeah. not going to get the inflation that you want if you don't get the inflation that you want that's you know i mean the question really is what is the right inflation number right, 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 right. that that's also basically a number pulled out of um somewhere <laughs> you're gonna have to change that too I yeah so, so the, the rba has traditionally said two to three percent is their target range yeah Hasn't been there in a very, very, a very long I, I time. I think it all since the GFC. I don't think for probably like for the last ten years. Yeah, it's been under that number. I I have a sneaking suspicion that the issue is not the inflation rate, but the inflation target. Targeting. Yeah. So I, I I agree with you that the the US too is not getting there. Well, actually, US maybe have recently hit like somewhere around two percent, right? So maybe all the developed economies are at a state where. Maybe you know inflation is like this is zero and one percent. Maybe that's your target range. So part of that is the problem. But but the other, I think the thing is that some of in at least for our um, economy, some of the industries are are taking it hard, right? Um, so it looks like um, the house price falls have have put some jobs at risk, mm. right? So that that's one one thing to think about. The and other that's thing a is big watch out, right? Because the construction industry is. A big employer. Exactly. They they reckon, they being the people who are supposed to know these things, reckon every dollar in spent in construction is worth about six bucks in the wider economy. So you've yep. got painting and new um, carpets and clothes and the things that go with that. Um, plus the fact that if you employ someone to do that carpeting, they then spend their money. Exactly. So the kind of multiplier effect is considered about six to one. If house prices fall, construction falls off, that's a potential leak for the economy. Exactly. Yeah, and the other thing is like you know, in, in terms of like you know, various like states and territories, in terms of you know what the ABC was reporting, ACT reported the strongest. So that's basically just all government jobs, right? right. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, so the you, you know, I mean, the government can only create so many jobs in the ACT. Um, so there, there are some you know, and the retail numbers that we have been seeing, and this you know, the business spend that we are seeing. So there's there's some worry in the economy mm. and the worry could feed itself which well, is the, the other problem our economy is so big now and, and frankly so reliant on discretionary spending we were talking about this in the office the other day there's so much reliance now on, on the discretionary dollar so if, if, if we live in a subsistence world where we eat everything we grow there's no surplus right and yeah. and frankly if you know if the economy tanks we still need to eat the same amount of number of carrots and the same amount of beef and the same amount of you know we'll probably substitute grain for beef or something but but broadly speaking all of our income is going to go to keeping us keeping us fed mm-hmm. and it doesn't mean we can't be underfed for a period of time but there's not a lot of discretion in that there's not a lot of opportunity to cut back yep. um uh, or, or discretion, in a discretionary sense. We can't yeah. choose to cut. We may have to be forced to, but you can't really say, well, I won't spend that this week because I don't feel thankful great. Yeah, it's not the new car. Right. Well, that's the thing. So if you think about the modern developed economy, imagine, so think about your, think about our days, right? And, and, and listeners, as you're listening to this, think about your day. Think about the, the, the few cups of coffee maybe you bought, maybe you made at home, but you bought some coffee. Um, you probably made yourself, a, or you're going to buy yourself a fancy sandwich or a meal out. You might have a couple of drinks after work with your mates. You might be driving a car that's 
relatively new. Um, you're probably putting premium petrol in that car. Uh, you've probably got Netflix on at home. You've probably got a new iPhone. If you had to cut back your expenditure, I, I would bet, with the exception of bills, so mortgages and, and stuff, most people, and again, this is not everybody, there will be people listening to us now who feel like they are pretty struggling, and, and absolutely that can be true, but most of our listeners right now could probably easily take 10, 20% of their, of their spending on an annual basis, not necessarily a weekly basis. If you start, cut back the coffees, the takeaway, the the technology, the content, all the things that we can in the holidays, I reckon very quickly, we could save 10 or 20% of our, of our of our spending. And if you put that on an economy level and say we just have to feel a little bit more concerned about how we are situated economically, maybe we should cut back a little bit. And in fact, in the most recent numbers, we might have talked about this last week, mm. in the most recent numbers, the household savings rate went up. Yeah. So interestingly enough, it's not that people have less money, it's they're spending less money because they're feeling less comfortable with the economy. At least that's the inference. Yeah. I hope we've got some good news coming next. Motley Fool Money. For more, go to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. No. No good news. news. <laughs> I thought you were going to good. Well, at least not yet. Yeah. So so poor old Kmart and Target, mate, mm. owned by West Farmers. Uh, they must hate the fact they bought this business. They bought it with the, with the Coles business. They spun Coles off because investors wanted Coles. No, no bastard wants Kmart and Target. <laughs> this is a very, very tough uh this is, a, this is a very tough business. Look, so we're talking about discretionary spending. We're talking about deflation. Man, I'll tell you what, if, if discount department stores aren't the epitome of deflation and, and cutthroat competition, oversupply, so Kmart, Target, throw Big W in, which is also struggling. The reject shop, reject which is shop, an absolute yeah. basket case. Mm. Um, mind you, West Ham has also bought Catch of the Day and the Catch Group recently, the online kind of discount yes. retailer. So there's something to that, but poor old Kmart and Target, they can't take a trick, can they? Yeah, they can't. I mean, it's such a tough category, right? I mean, we've seen that with Reject Shop. A, you need to have like rock bottom prices, yep. right? And then that you <laughs> that helps. But you, you also, in some ways, need to find products that are um, contemporary, or yep. you know. So you need to find what whatever is hot today. So Mate, you, I, I know all about fashion. Don't try to tell me about fashion. Exactly. I'm the fashion so, player. So you're the fashion. So yeah, you, you yeah. know, you you need to. It's a, not only that's like let, let's use Target, right? And and, and like for, you know, for our, like our daughter's uh, stuff, like we go to Target to buy stuff because a they they actually have good products. Right. They have trendy products yep. and they're cheap. <laughs> it's a good deal. Right? It's a good deal, but you know, you can at the same time you can see oh, there's not probably not much money yeah. they're making here, right? Yeah. They're selling stuff at fifteen dollars with somebody else, like you know, um, any other branded place is probably selling at thirty five dollars, right? Four and six dollar t shirts, exactly. So, so I mean, but it's a hard gig, I think, and that relies on volume, and I think a lot of that volume or basket size is probably going online, which is why I think the catch group. Purchase yep. actually makes sense. Yep. Um, so I think it's just to some extent, I think it's the consumers, you know, maybe being more careful with their spending. At the same time, I think a lot of that volume is shifting to online. Uh, and may, in some ways, maybe we're like, you know, uh, like in the US, it's what, like 12% of the retail online is is online now. Yep. And it's still growing super and fast. And it's super growing super fast, right? So, and we are probably slightly behind in that trend. So, I mean, the, mm -hmm. so there's more pain ahead for these guys. Yep. So, <laughs> so I don't know what to say. I mean, I'm happy I, with that. Well, well, that's why nobody wants to buy this thing, right? I right. mean, they even they want to spin it, but nobody's going to buy it because it's like in, in it's in the it's the market with the headwind. Yeah, right. <laughs> it really is. I mean, this is so retail's tough at the best of times, right? And and reasonably, you know, it, 
Target and Kmart and Big W have struggled for the longest time. There are simply too many departments, discount department stores in the in the country. Mm-hmm. Now, a region shop aside, which is frankly its own its own basket case, um, but you, you don't need these guys sell roughly the same stuff and roughly the same demographic to roughly the same people. And you just don't need. You know, we've never even pre retail. We don't need this many of them. You know, Kmart, Big W, and Target. They've never individually and collectively they've never been able to, to prosper at the same time. Either Big W was beating Kmart, Kmart was beating Big W, Target was beating Kmart. It was always that story of someone was winning while someone else was losing. Once by the time Kmart was the uh, Target, sorry, was that was the shining light. Big W and, and Kmart were, uh, were struggling. Then Kmart did it super super cheap, you know, four dollar t shirts, two dollar pair of thongs, whatever they were. It went to the top of the pops. It was a long time ago, but Big W at one point was also the king of the kids. Back in the Roger Corbett days, for those who've been uh, investing for a little while, Roger Corbett, the CEO of Woolies, uh, former CEO of Woolies, started his or senior management career running Big W and was doing really, really well there. Um, so it's one of those stories where, you know, for someone to win, someone else has to really, not exactly fail, but do badly in this, mm. in this space. There are just so many stores out there. You rightly point out, mate, between the, think about the Amazons, the Kogans of the world, mm. the Catches of the world, uh, the idea of kind of almost permanent discounts, and also too, to some degree, this, the, the, the kind of need or the want that was satisfied, the, the bargain shopper. So mm. if you get a, a quick tangent, if you get a chemist warehouse, right, it's, it's, it's overstocked and the aisles are narrow mm. and the bins are full of stuff. I mean, bins, the display bins, not yep. the physical garbage bins, are full of stuff. And and some of us will say, that's a really crappy shopping experience. Other people will say, this is a wonderful shop. I'm mm. going to hunt down my, myself a bargain. Once upon a time, you go to Big W or Kmart, Target, and you'd go and, and kind of find your mm. bargain. These days, you, I don't know how many emails you get a day, but I must get 20, 25 emails a day from various sites trying to sell me something on special. Mm. And so I can sit on my computer at home and I can buy from any of these stores plus anyone mm. else online effectively, you know, my, my need for bargain hunting and, frankly, the ability for them to distract my attention and I spend money on something mm. else rather than came out of bar- Target or Big W just continues to erode. So I, I don't – I think you're right, Matt. I don't see a bright future for this business. Uh, I was going to say, actually, one thing that, you know, following following on on what you were saying, but, you know, putting it in another way, one of the, one of the things with any, like, retail store was mm. – is this – effect that you know you can increase the basket size by putting stuff in front of you yes. but but i think what happens now is because we get put so many things in front of us in so many different digital ways yep. that actually that i think that discretionary extra spend that you know okay if i can get you to buy the you know egg for some price mm-hmm. at a cheap price but i can get sell you the toilet roll for an extra piece you know right, and, right. for a profit that actually is disappearing and that's what's making it harder mm-hmm. and probably is even harder for you know things like uh, fashion for example so yeah i think so i mean it's a Retail, just a quick detail on retail. Retail, generally speaking, in the US, they'd say sales per square foot. Um, we'd probably say per square meter, but but square foot kind of is the, the terminology they tend to use here as well, just because it's a, a, a kind of a global terminology. The idea of kind of you want to you want to get as many do- so rent and staff are two of the biggest costs, the two biggest costs other than product, obviously, um, for a retail fixed also. Right, exactly. And mm. so you what you want to do is you want to get as many dollars of sales for every square foot you've got, because that does tend to correspond with staff numbers, although it can be different depending on the product. But broadly speaking, you want to try and get as many dollars per square foot as you can. You want to get the highest possible return on that retail space, the rental space you're paying for. Now, that's all That's all great, except that when Kmart goes to sell $6 shirts and, and $4 thongs and whatever else, you've got to do a heck of a lot more volume at those lower prices, even to stay still, let alone grow. And to some degree, that's why the retail, retail, so again, the, the <laughs> reject man, reject shop is struggling because uh, it's trying to, you know, everyone's trying to race to the bottom on price. Yeah, not enough people are getting extra customers through the door, and so it came up probably hoped they'd put the other guys out of business. Mm. It hasn't been, to, you know, successful to the degree they wanted. Just now, came out itself is struggling. Mm. Um, sales per square foot remains a big, big problem. Exactly. 
So the reject shop is the new dollar store. Well, it kind of always <laughs> was, but it, it had once upon a time I had it to itself. So way back in the day, our listeners will remember. Kmart and Big W both sold branded products. That you know, you saw a fifteen dollar mm. Rip Curl T shirt or a twenty five dollar Billabong jumper or something. So it was it was cheaper than than the kind of the specialty stores, the individual clothing stores, but it wasn't super cheap. So Reject Shop always had that kind of dollar store opportunity about it. The problem really is that Kmart is almost the new dollar store, mm. and so Reject Shop kind of find itself well. We don't have the best range, or the best prices, mm. or the best locations, or the best service. And if you don't have any of that stuff, Hard. it's tough to make a buck. Hard. Get more Motley Fool money advice at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Now, mate, we talked about the number of rate cuts <clears throat> that might be coming down the pike. <clears throat> you know what's going to be larger than the number of rate cuts? Oh, yeah, I have a feeling. The number of bidders for Vocus. <laughs> now, <laughs> now, there was a time, there was a time <clears throat> when telecommunications was all the rage, and we've talked about that before. Yeah. Vocus has now had a fourth potential bidder. That's not even the best part of the story. The best part of the story is the bidder was AGL, <laughs> the energy company. It's decided it wants to, this, this, this is the equivalent of Telstra saying, you know what? We're going to go and buy Origin Energy yeah. or, or Transurban deciding it wants to buy Optus. I, I, this is just, I, I don't have enough words to describe how bizarre this is to me. Are you gonna Are you gonna tell me that I'm I'm missing the big picture? I'm not thinking strategically enough, or am I am I close to the money on this one? I I, I think you're not just close to the money. I think <laughs> I think you've hit the nail where it should be hit. Man. Like I mean, well, well, you know, okay. I'm gonna spin it a little positively. Do your Good, best. <laughs> I'll try my best for focus. I mean. Look at the number of suitors. I mean, you know, like people are just lining up to buy this thing. But <laughs> nobody buys it. Well, that's it, right? So, <laughs> so they've, had, they've had three people walk through the offices and say, yeah, thanks, but no thanks. <laughs> yeah. Well, maybe, maybe they're fourth time lucky, right? I mean, it, it does look, and it very much looks, um, I, I, I guess it could be you not know, two desperate parties that get together and maybe something good happens. <laughs> that's well, that, And that desperate is the right word. Yeah. Right? So this is the thing. So three individual bidders have come and knocked on Vocus's door. Yeah. Is it two private equity mobs and one telecommunications mob in the back in the past? I think that's yeah. the right number. Yeah. Um, at least, that, I mean, private equity can go anywhere. They're, yes. they're very much financial purchases. That makes some sense. Um, maybe a telecommunications company wants to get bigger or, you know, it was a Swedish telecommunications mob, I think, was it? Um, yeah. Who thought, okay, well, we want some Australian assets. Okay, I kind of get that. They can bring some specialty knowledge to the table. They can get some economies of scale, maybe. Um, and focus, I think... Asset-wise, isn't a terrible business. At least it shouldn't be. It should have some decently in-demand assets as long as you're paying the right price. What the hell is an energy generator and retailer doing trying to buy $3 billion worth of telecommunications assets? It, it, so, here, look, here's the thing. It's I'll, a utility. I'll answer, well, that's my own Exactly. That, that's the answer. Right? They're kind of saying, well, we're a billing company. We're a utility company. Mm. We're used to doing this stuff. We deal with some of the same customers. Synergies. Vocus does have an energy retail kind of bit to its business yeah. acquired from Dodo I think back in the day from yeah. M2 um, but, but that's just the retail like I mean they're right. basically yeah, the retailers so here so and I would get that if AGL said look we're going to go and we're going to add telecommunications kind of white label retail you yeah. can buy your phone services from us while you're buying gas and electricity okay I can't I still think that's a stretch for it, frankly. I think bundling. I mean, it's like you know, you bundle your electricity with uh, telephone, maybe with mobile, and then you know, all of a sudden, you've got like this uh, yeah, maybe. juggernaut, maybe. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but when you're buying the assets themselves, and again, AJ will also say, "Hey, we're infrastructure players. We know mm. this space. We're, we're good with regulated assets." Uh, I mean, I, I kind of get the, the th if it if it is successful, that's why it'll be successful. Yeah, well, it's a marriage made in heaven, right? Two companies that are not growing. 
Well, that, so here's the thing. AGL, AGL loses both ways. In my mind, AGL loses both ways. Yeah. On the first, on the first part of this one, they're saying, hey, let us pay $3 billion mm-hmm. for a tangentially related asset. Plus take on what, a billion dollars of debt or something like that. I don't know how that's, much the debt is. That, right? that's, that's aggressive. <laughs> so uh, the problem is if, they, if this bid doesn't go ahead, what they've pretty much said to the market is, we are so desperate. Yeah. <laughs> we have such little opportunity with our core business that rather than give money back or buying another energy retailer or expanding organically or doing anything else, the best idea we had was to throw $3 billion at Vocus. If the deal doesn't go ahead, investors are still going to be looking at this thing saying, well, why do we own, why do we own AGL? If, if the business is so, I want to say broken or maybe struggling is the best word. If it's struggling so badly that Vocus is the best idea, if the bid doesn't go ahead, why do you still own Vocus, uh, AGL shares? Surely this is the time to say, well, this is a board that's roughly out of ideas, roughly out of growth prospects. Why would you own the shares? I, I mean, I, I don't want to be disparaging it, but I think. Oh, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so I'll tr- I'll try to. You know, one of the things I, th- I think what happens in companies is like e- every management team probably thinks that they want to have a build an empire, right? <laughs> yeah. So one, you can build an empire by yeah. expanding the number of revenue dollars that you're bringing in. Yeah. But you, in the process, you might actually create no value, or you might actually create negative value. Mm-hmm. But I think people don't think about the value creation. First, I think people think about maybe you know, this is, maybe there's an empire building, um, but I agree with you. Like, I mean, you know, if you have, if this is the best use of three billion dollars, either you know, if your own cash, which they don't have, right? So they're gonna they're gonna do a capital raise, which basically means that they're gonna use a combination of debt and shares. Oh, man. Um, this just looks like a bad idea. If you have got cash, maybe pay out dividends to your shareholders. If you have no better use, right? I mean. Um, pay out dividends franked we still have franking <laughs> so we've got franking so pay out franked dividends uh, yeah I don't know but you know on the other hand you know this is um, a good price <laughs> for uh, for Vocus shareholders oh, well, right? if it goes ahead <laughs> well, the, the, the odds aren't strong based on history <laughs> yeah the odds aren't strong based on history but yeah uh, I agree I, I think this it doesn't make much sense to me real money advice from real people not just a couple of dicks with a Porsche. Get more at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, the single hottest stock on the ASX. I reckon I could ask 15 investors and they'd all get it right. Mm-hmm. The single hottest stock on the ASX in the last, goodness knows how long has been. It's Coca-Cola. Amitel. That's the best stock in the ASX, not the <laughs> hottest stock. Okay. I don't have a Coke in front of me. I normally do when we do in this podcast. I'm Coke free for now. Oh. That's not a conscious decision. Trust me, I just didn't buy one. You don't like the fizz anymore? Getting straight back in or after the podcast. Don't you you don't that. like the fizz? I love the fizz. It's very fizzy. Bring on the Coke Zero. Okay. <laughs> Mate, so after, no, not, not Coca-Cola Amatil. I like I own shares. You forced oh, we, me to disclose. I, I will also inc- I'll say that you know Coca-Cola is not paying us, or Coca-Cola Amatil is not paying us any advertising dollars. For, no, for, but, but it <laughs> makes a profit on like Afterpay. That doesn't stop <laughs> investors paying $6 billion for Afterpay. That's its current market cap. Well, it was, well, it still is actually, but it was- What about, did you not like about the fact? Well, it was that about 12% higher <laughs> yeah. on Thursday morning than it was on Thursday night because the financial services regulator, one of them, Austrack, the mob whose job it is to make sure that there's no money going to untoward places, money laundering and that sort of stuff, they kind of knocked on Afterpay's door and said, hi, guys, <laughs> we're going to do an audit on you. We're going to just make sure everything's tickety-boo, make sure everything's been done properly, make sure you guys are doing the right thing. Shareholders didn't exactly love the, the news, mate. Sent the shares down 12%. Now, on my maths, that's the best part of 800 million bucks, if I do the maths roughly in my head. Um, that's a that's a fair old shellacking. Now, to be fair, no one's crying poor. The shares are still up 700% over the last three years. So it's got some millions it can give back. 
Uh, that's what I was going to say. It doesn't matter. It's up 8x in three matter. years. Ah, it's all, it's so all it's like ten percent is it like is. you know you have to you have to tolerate the volatility <laughs> to get that kind of gain, right? Well, so here's the thing. This is not just regular volatility though. This is potentially the regulator. Well, is it? Is is so? Oztrack is saying, guys, you might have to make some changes here. We might require you to take a little more care, put a little more effort into the way you identify your customers, the record keeping that you use, the disclosures that you make. We don't yet know what the audit will find. Shareholders are kind of worried it might dent the company's business, and I think, you know, I mean, I joke about Afterpay. I'm probably just jealous that I don't own the stock, but um, this is not this is not a non-trivial issue, right? Like at some level. An Austrack finding could put a decent, at least short-term dent in the afterpay business. Yeah, so it's, um, so I would I would say it's a non-trivial issue, but I th- I mean it's a, it's it's a not a non-trivial issue. <laughs> it's an it's an important issue, uh, but at the same time, as as we, I think we discussed this last week as well. I mean, one of the things to note here is um, afterpay basically is giving out small amounts of money to customers. Basically, it's it's indirectly lending small amounts of money to, or it's actually lending small amounts of money to customers. But um, so it's hard to perpetuate, you know, like. A ten thousand dollar plus type of transaction, which is what Austrac would be interested in, right? Right. So, so the money laundering laws, just so everyone's clear, if you make more than a ten thousand dollar transaction, the bank is required to a know who you are, b who you're giving it to, and c notify Austrac that the transaction has been made. Right. So that's kind of the threshold. Now, as you say, after pays more hundred dollar pair of jeans and ten thousand dollar bank transfers. It's hard to do that, but um, it's still saying that look. There's certain requirements made of the big big transaction, the big financial intermediaries, so the banks and the like, um, even the, the money transfer companies, that kind of stuff. And they're kind of sniffing around saying, we're not sure that we shouldn't be a little harsher or at least more strict with you guys and what you need to do as well. Yes, I, I think I think what they're asking for is fine. Um, and, and you know, they're following what the laws are and they're, you know, they're making sure that our financial services and our financial institutions and our, you know, basically the health of the economy yeah. overall um, is healthy and that anything bad, if it's happening, they need to. So this is great. In a way, this is validates that afterpay mm is important enough now so this is the, here's the bull case right? the bull case is after is important enough that Oztrack is interested in knowing actually what they are doing yep. right and if there are any you know if there are any deficiencies that's an if um they might get fined mm. which is okay if they get fined i mean you know if, they, if there's any deficiencies, they're going to fix it and in, it is better fixed now especially mm. given that they're expanding into the u.s so in any any exp- u.s and uk much bigger markets, right? So any lessons that you can learn now is going to hurt much less. It's going to be it's going to be painful in the short term if there are deficiencies, but this is great for the long term. And in a way, many, many many times I say, you know, like I, I, what I tell people is that when when, for example, you're doing something and Amazon takes notice, mm. that's actually <laughs> that that's actually an indicator that you're doing something right. 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 Yep. In a way. Um, Austrack taking notice and saying, "Okay, do you really want to know? We want to we want to check what's going on." Is is in a way saying, "Oh, you know, you're an important component now of the of the credit uh, flow in in the country." Right, and it legitimizes and legitimizes to some extent. Yeah. Uh, and, and so you know, I, I'm supportive of what they're doing, and I, I don't think you know as it's a, it's a recommendation in one of our services. Um, uh, you know, and I, I can I can understand how it it affects the the short term and it you know pulling back and also this comes on the back of like a capital raise that they did and 
Um, so, you know, people can connect a few things together here, right? So it, it comes on the back of a capital raise, yeah. which was also com- accompanied by a sell down by, uh, you know, the insiders, right? So insiders actually sold a chunk of shares and the shares went to a big uh, fund in the US. So, so gonna, all, it's I'm all of those timing things, right? That's you know, I was going to ask you. Yeah. So I, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. Um, in fact, I'm the opposite of that. Most people mm. want to throw conspiracies at me. I tend to defeat, I tend to knock both of them back. I think people get way too excited about that. Yeah. This is pretty close timing was though, wasn't it? Like the sale was what, Monday? And then Thursday came the news on track. Is it roughly right? Yeah, but, but the, yeah, that's true. Like, But at the same time, you know, m- many of these things, you know, they don't happen overnight, right? I mean, if you want to do a big secondary sell down, you want to raise capital, you probably have to talk to the bank, sure. you have to find the fund house that's going to actually take the, you know, uh, be the cornerstone investor that's yeah. going to take those shares. So, I mean, these but things... That, the company, I mean, even if that was the case, if the company maybe knew they, something, yeah, should may- they not have disclosed it before or during well, that process? If if there was something happening they should have disclosed it um, my guess is that they would have given that it's, it's continuous disclosure and to be fair we're not alleging anything yeah. so I don't want so, to mis- mis- uh, interpret or misappropriate the, the so I, uh, g- given that we have continuous disclosure I'm 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 basically saying well you know they they would have they should have and they probably would would have so therefore there was nothing there to disclose until now um and, and you know how things leak right i mean even before there's a capital raise happening you know we would hear about it on the newspapers <laughs> before it's actually come out oh, on the asx so given that there was no leak in advance you know it gives me some more co- point. <laughs> some more point. confidence mm-hmm. that um th- this is like one of those coincidences but, but you know if, if you're an investor and it, like a lot of people might just be doing profit taking like you know if you have mm. 8x gains in 3 years you know you get nervous I think it's. I think that's a good point, Max. I, I, I've got to reckon there's a whole lot of shareholders of Afterpay who, frankly, own it because it's going up. Yeah. And and I think, you know, that's, that's not necessarily bad. It doesn't even necessarily make the company not worth owning, but it probably just means that you talk about volatility. We kind of laughed about it, but reality is going to be that people who own it either because their brother-in-law told them to, or frankly, there's some fund managers out there who own it because they feel like they should. Because how do you not own Afterpay? How do you? Yeah. How do you not own the stuff that's going on? You've got a fund holder and a fund manager, <laughs> and you're saying to your clients, yeah. "Oh no, I don't own Afterpay." Like, Why not? It's up seven hundred percent. Right. Um, but that being said, some of those are going to be relatively easily scared out of the stock, right? Absolutely. That's a scenario. They're kind of, yeah. oh, I've made some money. They probably don't own it for really solid reasons in the first place. Yeah. And so when th- some sort of bad news potentially on the horizon, like, oh, get out now quick, um, doesn't necessarily suggest the shares are going to go higher or lower in the future. Yeah. It's probably just more a function of, at the moment in particular, the sorts of shareholders it has, which is going to going to deliver that sort of volatility that we've yeah, seen. Absolutely. It's a high-risk stock in my view, right, and it's right. going to have volatility. And anybody who owns it basically has to be – uh, wanting to and appreciative and be willing to tolerate the stomach crunching that comes with this type of company. I mean, value stocks, market, stock market, index, share market. This is Motley Fool Money. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Mate, from, uh, I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to have to do a segue here. Uh, from from you uh, are the champion of segues. I, I right? From from afterpay to the mailbag hey! in a really seamless and segue friendly kind of way. Awesome. This is like you know, like uh, you you're delivering the mailbag using the segue itself. Oh, see, it's a meta segue. It's a meta segue. That that qualifies me for a raise. I think. <laughs> My dig me out of enough holes, you might get one. <laughs> Mate, the first question we have, let's move on quickly, comes from Sam, Samuel Krieg, who is at 427 Samuel on Twitter. Um, I will give you a Twitter handles in a minute, so grab a pen if you want to do that. Um, Sam says, firstly, I think this podcast is the epitome of fun, self-directed financial education. That's, this is like awesome. <laughs> Samuel, like, you know, good day. and uh, The epitome of fun, self-directed financial education. That's, that's our new tagline. 
Yeah. Motley Fool Money, the epitome of fun, self-directed financial education. I'm a fan of Samuel. I'm a massive fan right of Right now, like, I mean, fan, you know, Samuel can write these taglines. There's a decent amount of, uh, of uh, yes. Uh, we didn't ask him for this, right? And this was not planned. Not directly. Uh, we, we, I didn't ask him. Some of our listeners might interpret the fact that we've been asking for, for praise in our, in our mailbag. Did we? Well, I, I'm sure we didn't, but some, oh, might, some sure. might perceive that we do. Did, anyway. does, does Samuel have a question? We, we, uh, I'm, I'm does, looking, does it matter at this point? Well, I'm looking forward to answering his question oh, if he okay. has. Oh, I mean, I if I know the answer to it. You'll know the answer, mate. You're, oh, maybe. You're, you're good at this stuff. You're, you're the expert, <laughs> mate. That's why we got you here. Sam says, I was hoping to get your thoughts on the nature of cyclical businesses, such as agriculture, specifically Costa Group and their recent price movements south. Ouch, I remember that one. Mm. I like the business as a whole, and the recent announcements to me seem more related to events outside management control. Do you think that in these types of businesses, unforeseen events like this provide good opportunity, or is it best to stay well clear? So before you answer, I will disclose that Costa is a current recommendation of Share Advisor. So I'll put that out there to um, declare our, our interests and conflicts thereof as, as appropriate. Um, so firstly, mate, before you get into Costa, even before you get to agriculture, cyclical businesses, I don't, you don't strike me as, as a cyclical business kind of guy. Mm. How do you think about cyclical businesses? So yeah, this is not this is not something that I specialize in. Uh, actually, every time I've tried, I've actually probably failed. So my strike rate is pretty bad. But one of the things you know, and this is something that you say quite regularly, is that I mean, in it, and they could be like you know, as investors, we, we need to keep an open mind. So cyclical businesses are good. Uh, I mean, the thing is that cyclical businesses are cyclic, which means their profits are going to basically cycle from highs to lows, yes. right? The, the best time to buy probably is when the profit is basically at the bottom, if you can figure out what the bottom is. Right. So you have, you have a good idea that this is really going to turn now. Then the company on, on, like on multiples is going to look expensive because the, the E of the price to earnings, right, the right. price divided by earnings, so earnings are low, but they're going to rebound and the price to earnings looks high. That's probably a good point to actually buy. And um, conversely, then you're implying that if you were to buy in a low multiple of high earnings, yeah, that not, would be a mistake. That that would be a mistake. So Traditional again, so, value investors would normally say buy at low PEs. What you're saying here is with cyclical businesses, they can actually be a value trap. It could be a value trap. But so I'm. I mean, I'm. So all that said, I wouldn't think that Costa Costa to me looks like. It is cyclical, but also I think it's got growth opportunities in it. So, I mean, there's the other angle is that how much growth is there in that company that you need to factor that in as well, right? Um, if there is growth opportunities, then maybe, you know, you have to account for that in the price to earnings if that's your valuation metric or mm-hmm. or whatever else you're using, right? You know, if you're doing a DCF and so on and so forth. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the um, – look, I like cost actually quite a bit. Um, and it's not a recommendation in any service that I'm associated with. But, you know, and, and I'm not saying that because it's in, on shared advisor or anything. I just, I just think <laughs> – you know, the it's it's a good opportunity that they've got. It's it's a hard business that they're in, you know, and things like you know whatever the mushroom flies that they had, and you know tomato flies or whatever flies. I mean, these things are going to happen. Yep. So this can be an opportunity if you think that there's growth ahead, right? Mm-hmm. You know, um, more and more people are having these avocado sandwiches, toasts, and things like that. So, I mean, you know, and uh, like we have avocado every day good in, man. in our house. Buy two, mate. One for you, one for Costa. Well, well I always buy two <laughs> because they're almost <laughs> always, uh, well, the reason is that, that they're on a deal always and you buy two for $5 or two for $4 or whatever is the deal. Um, buy four, mate. You can never have enough avocado. It's a wonder <laughs> so, food. So, you know, I, I think again, uh, it could be an opportunity. Uh, I don't follow that company closely. It's, it's, you know, it's in your service. So you, you, you probably have some comments on that. So that's what I can say. Yeah, look, Sam, a great question. And again, thank you for the positive feedback. Um, I, I, 
believe Sam said it with a, the epitome of fun, self-directed financial education, but I, I might just be uh, making that up. Uh, no, he did actually say that. Mm-hmm. I just thought I'd say it again because, you know, it's nice to hear that we're the epitome of fun, self-directed financial education. Uh, mate, so, look, here's the thing, Sam. I, I would separate to some – well, Koshu is absolutely cyclical, but it's, it's also – um, volatile for the reasons that Doc's already pointed out, because these things are not even cyclical; they're just kind of random events. Mm. So there's there's kind of two two forces at play here. Doc is absolutely right about cyclical businesses. If you know a business can tend to be relatively cyclical, and that means that um, profits, sometimes revenue, but certainly profits, will fluctuate or cycle from high to low and back again. You want to be able to look at what they call through the cycle, right? So if you can see evidence of a cycle, and it's been hard in Australia because it's been 30 years since we had a recession. But generally speaking, if you know if you know an industry is cyclical, you want to look through the industry and say, right, over the last X number of years, five, 10 years, what is the average level of profit? Because that's going to give you some sense of what you can expect looking forwards as well. And so you think about, okay, well, if a, if a, a great one here is automotive holdings, right? They're a car dealer. Um, uh, plenty of plenty of brands. There are an amalgamation of, of a whole lot of uh, car dealerships. You know that new vehicle sales are going to be sometimes high, sometimes low, and sometimes quite low. And you can look back through history and see what the sort of average levels of, of sales and profitability have been. That gives you a reasonable sense. So Doc's point, if you can time it nicely and buy it at the bottom, then great, do that. If you don't know exactly where the cycle is necessarily, at least take an average profit over the last X number of years. So let's say, pick, pick seven years, pick a number, go back over the last seven years, find what the average level of profitability is, and then pay a decent multiple of that profit. Whether it's high or low now is kind of a little bit arbitrary. Um, frankly, it's going to give you some opportunities because if you can buy it for less than that average level of profit, you're doing well. If you buy it for more than, you're probably going to do badly. Um, but it's less about where you are in the cycle and what this profit looks like through the cycle. When it comes to Costa, I, it's still a buy for us at Share Advisor. And the reason is exactly as you point out, mate, this stuff is is absolutely going to happen. It'll keep happening. It's, it's going to be volatile for that reason. This isn't necessarily cyclical, though. It's not like every three years they have a um, you know mushroom rot or a, or a you know berry infestation. They'll have it from time to time every now and again, um, but they're a diversified global business now or becoming more global over time. It will happen. So yes, absolutely. I think rather than being cyclical in this case, although it can be cyclical as well, um, if you get an opportunity to buy because the market freaks out about a one-off or a not necessarily a one-off, but an irregular event, um, then that should, we think, hopefully, uh, provide us with good opportunity. So there's a difference there between pure cycle and the sort of one-off events that give you a chance to buy it cheap. Um, I think it's the latter when, when it comes to Costa. Um, it will happen again, absolutely, so be mindful of that and be careful about how much you pay. But generally speaking, when the market freaks out about something that really is not an ongoing problem, that's normally a good chance to buy. Modly for money. Mate, we got, a, we got a question from a, a Twitter user who identifies themselves as at Blurb Man. Love B- that. B-L-U-R-B-M-A-N, Blurb Man. I don't know, mate, do you reckon he's in advertising, Blurb Man? I don't know about that. I love that. I love That's that handle. Man. I love it's that handle. Good. It's All a great right. handle. Thank you, Blurb Man. For, uh, now, now I'm, almost, I'm almost hesitant to read this one out, Doc, because there's, there's, no, there's no praise at the beginning. Oh. Should we just leave it and move on? Well, yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's indirectly talking about stuff that you are passionate about. And What's true? Been, okay. And yeah. you've been, you know, banging on and on about it on Twitter. <laughs> you, 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 mean, you mean nicely when you said banging well, on. Well, banging on sometimes is a nice thing. <laughs> I don't mean it negatively You've been boring us all senseless. No. I mean, that's, that's great. All right. Trying to make uh, trying to help people save money. Never so, let it be said we only read tweets out that are positive, though we do tend to preference them. Um, <laughs> Blurred Man says, Hi, Scott and Doc. With interest rates being so low, sub 3.5%, is it more worthwhile to make additional mortgage payments or to make baseline payments and use the additional money to invest elsewhere? It's not that hard to make more than 3.5% returns. 
Cheers, Blurb Man. Um, I, I do love that. Um, so, Doc, if Blurb Man was well, – again, we can't give personal advice and everyone's situation is different, so we won't tell Blurb Man specifically what he should do. We'll assume he's a bloke because he's an FI's Blurb Man. Um, but generally speaking, how do you think about trying to choose between paying more off the mortgage or taking the advantage of low interest rates and putting the extra cash into the market and trying to earn more than what you'd otherwise save paying off the mortgage? I think that's a brilliant question, it's and a good, a hard, it's a great question, and it's a hard one <laughs> because because again, so it's not a personal advice in any way. We can't give that. Yep. Um, it's a it's a great question because there's there's a little bit of personal subjectivity here. Right. What makes you um, comfortable? Right. Can I break in for a second? Yeah. I know you get better answer the question, but maybe you guys say this anyway. So I'm probably stealing your thunder. This is one of the th- one of the great things about financial advice, and what, if you are getting advice from anybody, including us, as you're listening to this. Um, there is always a most rational, most theoretically correct answer mm. to any question. Yes. And then there is the answer that is most appropriate for your circumstances, including your history, psychology, fears, goals, um, aspirations, worries, and they aren't always the same thing. Absolutely. And, and it's really, really important as you're thinking and listening to us, there is absolutely technically correct answer, right? And, and Doc will probably cover that, I'm sure. But but far more useful, and this is not just about interest rates and mortgages, it's about investing, it's about saving, it's mm. about buying a house or not buying a house or renting, it's about using, frankly, debt to borrow, to, to invest, all those things. Um, there's a theoretically correct answer, or best answer, um, and there's the answer that makes most sense to you. And I say to, to Doc and the guys regularly, and they're sick of hearing me say it, the only, the only the, the best financial advice is the advice that's taken. Mm-hmm. There's no point in me giving advice to somebody saying, this is what you should do, and they go, yeah, no, I'm going to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. Even if it's the technically best advice, and, and frankly, ASIC might even say, well, you should give the best advice, and we should. What we really want is to give the advice that helps people end up with their best possible financial outcomes. And because there's a human element, we have to make sure we get that right. Absolutely. Sorry for the interlude, mate. No. Go and tell Blurb Man what he should do. That's absolutely brilliant. Like, so, so, okay, I'll, I'll use my own personal example without getting, getting into specifics, right? So, I... In my own, in our personal case, we pref- have preferred to have you know keep some money in the offset account, for yep. example. Um, we could, you could, we could pretty much minimize that as much as we can and invest all that money. We have not done that largely because a, it just makes us comfortable, makes my wife comfortable, right. and if, if my, makes my wife comfortable, then it, it allows me to invest better, right? Because if my if my spouse is unhappy right. <laughs> with with what I am doing, then that's already a starting point of problem, right? Very good point. And, and so therefore, you don't want to do that. So that said, the the rational answer here is that invest. In, I would personally think that you, because it's like interest rates are like what 3.5 it's probably going to get lower yeah um and i mean 3.5 you can find a mortgage that's probably now at 3.2 right um maybe even lower right given where the rates are mm-hmm. um on the market you potentially going to get much more right the markets are historically have done eight to ten maybe they're going to not do that much because they've had a bull run but you know whatever like i mean if they're going to do even seven percent you're still ahead mm-hmm. um and therefore it does make sense rationally to invest more in the market given this scenario and maybe you know when the when the interest rates back creep back up maybe you want to unwind some of that and bring it here and right. and th- that'll be the rational uh, answer I, th- I think that's uh, i think there's no uh, i think that'd be also the the best possible use of your funds uh, mm-hmm. you know putting aside you want, you don't want to invest funds that you need in say in the next 3 years in the market right, right. so if you if you put that aside 
then it does make sense to invest, maximize. And I'm not saying that just because we know we have stock market, uh, you know, a newsletter service and things like yep. that. Yep. That's exactly what, how I feel with the caveat, as I added, that, you know, I, I tend to keep a little bit more than what is necessary, largely because, you know, that's that's just my own personal circumstances. That, uh, you know, the, the contrary to that is that I've often dipped into that when I think that it's, you know, mar- market pullbacks. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel comfortable dipping in and, and investing more at that time. Again, that's just... just just again, a personal scenario, mm-hmm. uh, personal you know, situation, and I think every person is different. But yes, I would absolutely invest because that's where the returns are. Mate, I think that's perfect. I I will add a couple of things. First is don't think so. A couple of points. First is don't think about the three and a half percent in isolation because the three and a half percent is tax free. Correct. So effectively, when you and depending on your tax rate and working and all that sort of stuff, but if you're making three and a half percent, you're you're paying off your loan at three and a half percent. That's probably equivalent to a five-ish percent, five and a half percent before tax. So you don't have to pay tax on the interest saving on your mortgage. You would have to pay tax on any profit you make from investing. So if you were to earn four and a half percent, for example, investing, and you hopefully do better than that, but if you were to earn four and a half percent then potentially you'll actually end up worse off after tax than if you just Mm. paid money off the mortgage. So first thing is think about that. Um, The tax situations are different. We never ever say invest or don't invest because of tax. What we do say is look at the after-tax returns. And in this case, the interest savings are tax-free. That's a big win. Second thing I would say to Doc's point uh, a little bit is, I think it's Warren Buffett's line, but it's probably someone else's line. Um, You never want to rely on the kindness of strangers. What I mean by that is the bank really doesn't care whether they throw you out of your home or not. Um, I would always say get ahead of your mortgage repayments either by paying down extra or as Doc said and Doc doesn't, I do the same. Put some more money in the offset account so that if the worst come, happens, if I get hit by a bus, if, if my boss decides that, look, it's been fun, Scott, but we want someone else to do the podcast, you can go and find another job somewhere else. I'm not going to get to the first repayment and go, oh, gee, where's the extra money? Yeah, I could sell some shares and that might take some time and I've got to pay tax on the sale. So there's always ways to get some of the cash. But you don't ever want to rely on the kindness of strangers. It doesn't mean take out no debt. It just means be conservative with the amount of debt you have. And it makes a whole lot of sense to have more money somewhere in an offset or extra repayments. So you're always ahead. You've always got that buffer. And you know what? It's a psychic buffer as much as a financial buffer, Mm. but both are really, really important. So think about that. Um, Next thing, again, to Doc's point, I agree. That being done, then absolutely go and invest somewhere else. Be mindful of the prices you're paying, of course. Uh, You don't want to go and pay over the odds for something that's going to fall by half. I wrote an article this week about lithium stocks. If you want to search Scott Phillips lithium and maybe SMH, throw that in Google. Um, or Bing, as you like to do, Doc. For Bing, Bing. God knows what uh, reason. I love Bing. If you, uh, if awesome. you throw lithium, SMH, Scott Phillips. Um, you know, lithium stocks have lost half their value in the last year, year and a half, right? Now, it's one thing to say, well, could I get more in the market? Yeah, if you invest well. And again, that risk component. Investing, we think, over the very, very long term, uh, on average, will compound at much better rates than you get in your mortgage. Uh, but just be careful. Don't take money out of the mortgage and go throw it in the latest hot stock, the latest marijuana stock, lithium stock, tech stock, um, whatever's overpriced right now. Again, maybe you'll do really well. Maybe you won't. Uh, but just don't, you know, just be careful about how you invest that cash. If you're going to say, look, over 15 years, would I be best better in a diversified portfolio than paying off the mortgage? Absolutely. Over the next two years, with a hot tip from your cabbie, you know what? I think I'd probably pay it off the mortgage if I didn't, if I if I had the choice. So be diversified, be thoughtful, be sensible, think long term. Again, all the things Doc's already said, but just to, to reiterate that point. Um, but yes, overall, I think it makes much more sense to invest outside um, your mortgage because there's simply better returns on offer. As long as you also then pay off that mortgage in a reasonable time frame, you don't go and spend the extra cash. So um, again, some people can invest and then go and spend that proceeds of the investing on something else. 
um, if you're investing for the long term, you're going to keep that money in a in a productive asset, not decide to blow it on a, a boat or a car or something else. Um, again, makes much, much more sense. But just don't fool yourself into thinking, as I've seen some people do, they paid money, invested rather than paying off the mortgage, but then going to blow the proceeds of the investing on something that doesn't really add value. And so they end up with a depreciating car and the same size mortgage, even though they made some money investing, that's still a net negative decision. And again, I'm not saying you would do this necessarily, um, but in terms of thinking about how um, how that might work, those are some of the considerations. So Blue Band, hopefully that answers your question. Again, thank you for the great question. Thank you for the great uh, handle. Not so great on the lack of positive feedback and reinforcement for us. Yeah. We're nothing if not narcissistic, Doc. Well, but, you know, next time. Next time. I, I hope you're on, Blurred you're Man on. especially has got such great we, handle. We would, we, would never, we would never ask for it. We'd never require it. We no. just want you to know that we, we, we feel better when you give us some nice mm-hmm. words and we feel a little bit sad when you don't. That's all. Yeah. So if you, if you really don't like us, don't bother. But if you like us, then you know, think about how we feel. We have feel. We're people too. That's true. Not just voices in your podcast machine. No, we're not machines yet. Not yet. Not yet. Hopefully. <laughs> when that happens, I'll be actually glad I put some money in the offset. Exactly. When I get replaced by the robots who can either come and do this or stock pick or something else, I'll be in all sorts of trouble. And they'll be walking around. I've also got some really, mate, we've gone well over time. I've got some great mailbags still lined up for next week. So Awesome. I love mailbags. Send us some mailbags. If you, if you are interested, if you want to hear our thoughts on something more interesting, if you want to give us some praise, potentially, just hypothetically, no, no requirements. Just a little bit. If you wanted to. Yeah. Just completely, you know, agnostic as to whether we get praise or not, but- and you, don't, you, you just give us praise. I think that's, that's just fair. They, well, we're pretty good. Yeah. Why would they not? Actually, otherwise, the machines are going to take over. I mean, that's not good for anyone. This is the highlight of our listeners' week, Doc. Yeah, exactly. I love it. Poor people. <laughs> <laughs> if you do want to get in touch, at the Motley Fool AU on Twitter. Uh, I'm at TMF Scott P. And Doc is at Anirban Mahanti, A N I R B A N M A H A N T I. Um, you can get us uh, direct mail on Facebook. You can send us an email at info at fool.com.au. Twitter's easier because we can kind of interact and it's a bit more fun. Uh, but any of those you can get to us. Um, don't send us a snail mail because I don't even know our postal address if we have one. No idea. The company in the US is actually getting rid of landlines. That is awesome. Isn't that bizarre? That is awesome. I never thought I'd imagine an office where you literally didn't have a phone or even a phone number. Steve Jobs. Bizarre. It's all about Steve Jobs. The world changed because of one man. I knew I'd gone too long. <laughs> all right, that wraps us up. But before we go, don't forget, you can and should subscribe to the Triple M Motley Fool Money podcast through iTunes or your favorite Android podcast app if you're one of the more enlightened people. And if you like Ooh. what we're doing, please give us a rating, give us a review, tell your friends, share the love. The more they know, hopefully, the better they will be off financially. That's why we're here. That's why we do what we do. And don't forget, you can get a dose of foolishness straight to your inbox by going to fool.com.au forward slash triple M. Triple M. That's it for this week's Motley Fool Money. We'll be back next week with a full mailbag and a little more foolish insight. Full on. Full on. The Motley Fool and people appearing in this program may have positions in the companies mentioned. General advice only. Please speak to your financial professional to understand how it may pertain to your situation. Subscribe to the free newsletter at fool.com.au forward slash triple M. The Motley Fool operates under financial services license 400691.